2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, 26.2 mile run. You've done the training. You've completed the race. You've gone from being a fat man to an Ironman. How do you stay motivated after this? And what is next? Hello and welcome to the Ultra Running Podcast with me, Coach Marshy. Hope you're well and welcome to this week's show. Hope the running is all going well for you. So we have a guest today. And just before I bring that guest in, I'm going to introduce him before I bring him in today. We're going to bring in Ash. Ash is my producer for the podcast and he knows absolutely nothing about ultra running. So He's going to flip it today and we're going to flip this. So I'm going to get asked some questions from someone who knows nothing about our sport. And let's see how it goes and what he's got to say. So bring in, in Ash. Hello, Ash. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Neil. I'm super excited to be here, mate. Like to be finally on this side of it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be weird being on the other side of the fence, but I can do it. Before <laughs> you crack on, Ash, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Mm. Um, do you want to just... Really quickly give an overview of who you are, but also tell us, do you run at all? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, overview of who I am. Obviously, I'm um, your podcast producer. I'm podcast specialist, um, helping people all over the world build podcasts and level it up and do kind of what you've done, which is this show is amazing. Your listeners are amazing. And every week we talk about that. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, and do I run? I have started running since being like helping you with this show and getting to know you over the last like 18 months. I have started running. I do run five. I do like 5K. I'm like a little baby runner three times, three to four times a week. Um, because, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a gym rat turned into slightly starting to fall in love with the running space. So I can see the, the love of it, but I'm not an ultra runner by any long shot. So we'll see if after this you uh, you feel like you want to get into ultra running or not, but we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> so we're, we're flipping it over today. We're giving Ash the microphone and uh, I'm going to know how all our guests feel and be on the opposite side of the fence. Yes, mate. I'm taking complete control. I love it. I'm very excited. Um, and we're going to do a few of these, obviously, over time, because I think it's really good for your listeners who are wonderful and helped you get into the charts and do all these cool things. Um, to just understand a bit about you, I think we definitely, by the way, need to do an episode on why you started the show. Because I just realized that as you pressed go and thought, we're not, we've not done one where it's like, why did you do it? And what was the plan for it? <laughs> yeah. But, so we need to do one of those. But this week, I wanted to, to look at um, the thing when I first met you, you kept talking about this idea of being, you called yourself, it was Fat Man to Iron Man. You did it the intro then. And, um, you know, the, the joke, I don't know if you mind me saying it, when I met you, I, I remember we, I remember I said, like, I didn't take you seriously for the first eight weeks when we were, like, working together until I found out that you had done all of these incredible achievements. And uh, I would love to talk a bit about Ironman, like, like doing an Ironman and how that transitioned over to being an ultra runner. Because to me, when I first got into this, working with you, I didn't, I didn't really know the difference. And there's obviously yeah. a huge difference from like seeing your guests and seeing where the show's gone. So I'd love to know, like, like we dive into your idea of how you got into Iron Man running at Iron Man and all of that. I mean, 
I was reading, wrote something here. It's like two point whatever four miles of swimming. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, the transition so, over. Yeah, I think um, you know, just to answer that really basic was that I ended up doing an Ironman because it was basically the natural next step on a long line of steps that I got to from sort of starting my my running journey. I kind of skipped the whole process. People talk about couch to 5K, you know, you, you'll be familiar with that. And I think uh, rather than doing that, I didn't do a 5K and I didn't do a 10K. I went straight into doing this half marathon, this idea of back then when I did it, it was probably quite a big thing. I think, unfortunately, you know, credit where credit's due for anyone who does a half marathon. But right now in the world of running, it's not really seen as a biggie anymore. It's more seen like a 10K used to be seen is now a half marathon. And then the next step kind of came and you talk about going up to marathon level and and blah, 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 blah. And I was very involved at the gym that I used to work at, but was a host for the Cambridge Triathlon Club. Um, and I started to do some work with them with their strength and conditioning work as a, as a PT. And obviously you're kind of in and around those people and they're like, oh, go on, give a, give a little triathlon a go. So rather than give a little triathlon a go, I gave an Olympic distance triathlon a go um, rather than a sprint or anything like that. So that then sort of led to that. Then it moved on to the marathon in running. Then it moved on to the 70.3, which is the half Ironman. And then just when we reached 2015, that was that natural progression for me. So I kind of jumped up step by step, but kind of missed the first few steps in all of the journey, um, yeah. which don't. Don't quote me and, and I'll, you know, all the listeners, I've got the right to, I've got to, I've reserved the right to definitely withdraw this statement, but I kind of wanted to jump there because I was a bit of a junkie for how it made you feel to go long and go quite hard. Um, hence the sort of 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then the marathon. So there I was. And that's kind of how I went from, that's a very brief overview of going from the fat man to iron man that's an interesting point i'd love to hear, hear more about that i think is you saying that that like a bit of a junkie for that that long and hard um in regards to the, the distance um because so so what why why that because i find that really interesting because i myself am as a non-runner or like non I find that people who there's an addiction to being able to do. I myself find this is an addiction to be able to do stuff that others deem not possible. There's something that I find, which, which also to your own detriment, sometimes your own, is that like, was it a similar thing? It's like this, a feeling of like slightly superhuman endorphin feeling to it. So I encourage my guests to be hundred percent honest. So I'm going to do the same. So I'm going to just put a little trigger warning here. So, you know, anyone who's got past experience with any any triggers around sort of self-harm, please sort of turn off right now. Because for me, going long, you're in so much pain, you can't feel pain anywhere else. Yeah. So you can't feel the emotional pain that you're struggling with there and then. So a lot of this journey originated from me losing my granddad on my birthday, my granddad on my dad's side, and then seven days later, literally on the next Monday, losing my mum's dad, my other granddad, who and I was close to both of them. Um, so I can, if I put my time and effort into this idea of long endurance, quite painful stuff, mm -hmm. not, not even mind numbing. People talk about mind numbing. It's not, it's 
absolutely engaging in some way or another, whether you're using it to sort out your day mentally or whether you're using it just to escape your day, it it's actually like this endurance idea of kind of pain. And therefore, if you're spending a lot of time doing that, you can't feel the pain elsewhere. Yeah. And the reason I put the trigger warning in there is because I was once told people can't feel it's hard to feel two types of pain at once yes um and i think for me that that was where this originated from and by by no means did i ever pre-plan to do an ironman let alone become an ultra runner um just kind of happened i think you can see that in people like david goggins i don't i think most people would be honest and say that that's how they feel about a lot of that stuff I think I would be the same. I got into fitness because it was easy as a teenager. It was a way of channeling emotion. <laughs> and it's yeah. the thing, and it is, if you do enough press-ups that your arms hurt. You can't not, feel anything else. You can't feel anything else. Yeah, that would be the same thing. So I get that. And I think that's where you David Goggins approach. So I don't think that's, but it's interesting what that it can push you to do amazing things. So I'd love to know with the Iron Man, what was that feeling like doing it? And, and like the whole the whole process. If you think like this achieved, I know you've got the Iron Man tattoo on your leg. What was that? What was it like during it? Cause to me, it just seems, I mean, I've struggled with swimming, let alone like anything else. Like, so, what so was that? do you mean like on race day specifically yeah, on race day, during it, after it, like that kind of prep, what was your my mental state? Like, cause before we dive into how you're into ultra running, I'd love to know, like, cause there might be a lot of people listening to this who are ultra runners who might be thinking about potentially taking on an Ironman. And yeah. so it's, the, you know, it's not just about transferring one way that these two things definitely cross over. And um, I, cause it's endurance. Anyone crazy enough to do more than what you should do is going to probably be attracted to the same things. So what yeah. was in your, what's, what's kind of that pre-race that pre-race jitters, the actual race and then post recovery and stuff. What's that like? So, so the first thing that should be noted here is that whether it's a branded Iron Man, you know, like the red Iron Man M or with the little dot to make the Iron Man bit, whether it's that or whether it's a, a different company that, that offer them, they tend to start at race start gun time is 6 a.m. So when you're in your hotel, because then none of these are really local to, to, to places that are big, they're in sort of areas that have got lots of natural beauty because it allows for the long distance run and the, the bike rides, etc. You know, they start at 6am. So you're in a hotel and your alarm goes off at 3am. So you're up at 3am and the worst thing about it is you're pulling whoever out, whoever's with you at the time. You're pulling them out of bed as well in another room and you're making sure you're like your dad's up to take you or, you know, that's my experience. My dad was kind of central to that. Um, and you're pulling, you're pulling people up at that time of day and then, because you've wrecked your bike the day before, it's all part of the process. You you've seen visually where you're going, so then you have to get a normally a bus to the start, or you drive to the start and you sit there, and your bike's racked. It's obviously next to where the swimming lake is, or whatever you're swimming in, and there's just this little lull where it's not even daylight, height of summer, but it's still not daylight fully, and there's just this big bunch of water. There's a lot of people. There's the race anxiety that everyone's got toilet queues beyond belief. Anyone who's done an event in any aspect of endurance or any running event will know what I mean by toilet queue. And you just kind of standing there thinking, okay, 
the reality of today is long. Whatever happens in an Ironman at my level of ability, this is going to be long. So, you know, if you're looking at maybe someone who's really going to perform as a recreational athlete, you know, I could be wrong these days. It could have increased and performance may have gone up. But call it 10 hours, right? Nine, nine, 10 hours for a good recreational person. That would be kind of exceptional, right? So, you know, this is taking like 12 hours. You know that 12 hours is, is the way forward. Um, and then you know that it might even be then some after that. So you're kind of doing that. You're going through it. You're doing it. You're, you're going through your rituals, all the things that you practice because you've done a million, in my case, you've done a million and one events before it so that when you stood on that start line, you weren't feeling anxious. And that was the biggest thing that I could say in that first initial part was there for me. I was standing in that kind of, they had what you call a rolling start. So gun goes off and then your chip time goes when you go through the actual um, start mat, which is just before the kind of diving platform before you dive into the lake and you know you've got your Baywatch boys that want to dive in and Mitch Buchanan it, you know, all of that sort of thing. But the truth is, is a lot of us just popped over to the side, took a seat and popped ourselves in. You know, the difference between diving in and just popping yourself in and taking a deep breath and settling is probably going to be the, the difference of 30 seconds. Now, if you're that close to the cutoff time for the swim, then you probably shouldn't be in the race anyway. So, you know, tough luck that's kind of the way that they <laughs> that's kind of what they designed it to showing be. off thing it is absolutely so you kind of do that and what i realized in that moment and it was really surreal because it was kind of the sun was coming up it was a bit overcast but the sun was coming up and i just thought hold on every single one of those practice events where you stood on the start line for a sprint triathlon you know the year going up to it i did lots of practice events all of those things paid off because i stood there with absolute zero anxiety going You've been here many times before. You can you can do this. The difference was is I was about to swim 2.4 miles instead of swimming 750 meters. And that was the difference, really. Um, and 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 you knew it. But the nice thing about this one, which was the UK Ironman up in Bolton, it was it was kind of hosted in in near Manchester and Bolton. It was in Peddington Flash, was the lake, big, big, vast area of Lakeland. And um we did it was like a two lapper. So you kind of swum and then you came back to the shore, but probably about hundred meters up. And then mm -hmm. you got out and had to run back to the start and then swim another lap, which was kind of cheeky. Cause it gave me that little moment where I felt more secure, which was on land. Yeah. Um, so you only, it was almost like an interval swim in that way. <laughs> Cause but it was only two laps. So, you know, you're swimming for the majority of time, but it just gave you that moment just to kind of, I don't know, re reconsider where you're at, take a deep breath in. And a lot of people just walked across there like I did to kind of gather your thoughts. Cause again, the difference between running across there and walking, if you're that tight to the cutoff that you need to run across there, then maybe you're really pushing it and you shouldn't have been in the event. So there was that. Um, and then, yeah. So uh, does that answer your question about sort of how it was before? Yeah. And so what was it like during and, and then after? That's the thing I'd be interested in. So the biggest thing that I, note is that there are variables on the bike that are uncontrollable now you could mechanically use your error break your chain by changing gear at the wrong time but if you forget all that actually if another cyclist rides into you and completely mauls your bike up or you know you get too close to the the camera motorbikes or the the elite athletes that are on their second lap coming past you on the bike actually the truth is there's a lot of variables 
that you can't control on the bike. And yeah. I just remember coming down and it was, um, you know, being a football fan, it was great that transition to T2, the end of the bike was at the Bolton football ground. Um, they used that as the big car park and that was where transition two was from the run to, from the bike to the run. I remember coming in and getting to the dismount line and I come down the hill and I was, I was within the cutoff. And so it's about eight hours they give you for the bike, but you can of course accumulate anything left from the previous cutoff. So the cutoffs kind of accumulate. So total time of sort of 11 hours for the bike and for the the swim. So I kind of accumulated those and I was well within the bike because of I'd done half an hour quicker on the swim than I kind of allowed for myself. I wanted to get out 15 minutes before the end of the swim and make sure I had that much time, but actually I was a li little quicker. So I come down this hill, dad's on the corner, like, and he just taking photographs of me coming down the bike, sh shouting, shouting, well done, whatever. I got to the dismount line. Bolton, Bolton Stadium there, my sister right on the dismount line because obviously I wasn't anywhere near the front of the field so spectators had kind of thinned out enough and I just turned to my sister as I got off, cheeky little smile and go, I'm going to become an Ironman today and the joke was is I still had to run a marathon <laughs> because the way I saw it was is, you know, bit David Goggins-y but you, you, can, you can run, walk or crawl you, you're in control of, of the run Whereas yeah. the bike, there was always that fear going round. And even a bad puncher, you know, you got your puncher repair kit with you, but actually a bad one. And you've got to kind of hope that one of the support vehicles that's driving the opposite way round of the loop is within a time period close enough to you to give you enough time to fix it and carry on and finish the actual ride. So, but I've come unscathed, you know, I've realized now since, since the, since talking to others how lucky I was to be one of the 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 people that got to the end unscathed on the bike and then you know into transition turn to my sister Faye and go oh gonna become an Ironman today don't worry about the marathon and the joke to quote you that's something that I've loved <laughs> getting from you but the the joke about it is that um I've run marathons a lot slower since that day than that marathon that marathon was five hours and 20 minutes um, following obviously a 112 mile bike and the 2.4 mile swim, which quite frankly, I would take that right now yeah. as a marathon time um, where I'm at in my journey right now. So, you know, I think that was kind of going through your head and then you just get into Bolton town center and it just was just a bit surreal because you had to run 10 K from Bolton stadium to the town center, if you like. And then you joined a loop, which with three loops of it got you to the marathon distance. And there was just this little shoot off to go down the red carpet and under the big finish line. <laughs> and every time you got to it, you had to go around again, which was great from a spectator's point of view, because there was always a big crowd there. Um, everyone was encouraging. And obviously my family were there as well, really shouting at me and supporting me each lap. And then I just remember coming down the hill and, Basically, the cutoff time is 17 hours. So they, you got 17 hours to do this Ironman. And you're coming down the hill and they call the lot at 10 p.m. at night. They call it Heroes Hour. But obviously, the rolling start means that the, the last time you can finish is about half past 11 
because of that rolling start as such. Yeah. But for me, I worked out that it was about 20 past 11. I'm coming down the hill and it's bang on the start of Hero's Hour. Um, and they put Bonnie Tyler on Hero. Need a hero. Your song, that. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just like, it was weird because the, 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 the church clock was ringing for 10 p.m. The music came on because it was their hero's hour. And I was coming down the hill and my sister was the other side of the barrier. It had thinned out by then because other people had obviously finished. So their spectators had gone. And she kind of trotted alongside me, which is a real moment until I got to the red carpet. And she went and found my dad and just stood by the side and watched me go down the red carpet. And the most beautiful moment for me was that um, the female British athlete, um, British champion at the time, she's still going now with her her extreme sports and endurance sports, Lucy Lucy Gossett. She uh, she gave me my medal and she was part of Cambridge. She trained with Cambridge Triathlon Club at the sports centre I worked for just before that time. So we kind of knew each other and the winners and the elite athletes come back and give hero hour medals to people. So they hand the medals out and it was really good that Lucy did that and that Lucy was there and I got to have that moment and it was just a really good moment for me. And um, yeah, that's kind of, that was the story of the Ironman kind of got carried away with telling it there. It's very No, it's good because I think your listeners need to hear it, mate. I need to hear it. I think it's interesting because it makes context. So the thing I want to know then is how do you go from, you've done Fat Man to Ironman. How do you go from Ironman to ultra runner? Why is that a transition and, how do you begin training for ultra running? How did that start? So the truth is in 2014, I'd done an ultra marathon the year before Ironman, done a 50 miler. And I was a complete naive marathon runner who thought, yeah, go on, let's give it a go. Like, yeah, yeah. And the truth is, as I did finish it, um, it was the Lady Bower 50 up in the Peak District. And I did finish it. And, you know, you realize on the first hill that you reach after a couple of miles that, everyone's walking like the guys at the front are walking and you can see them walking it in the distance and you're like, okay, I've missed something here. So I need to, I need to come up with an idea and you hear about run walk ratios and all of these things that to be honest, we definitely overlooked and we were trying to run it. Like we were me and the, the guys that are with, we're trying to run it. Like we were marathon runners attacking a 50 miler, <laughs> um, which as I say that now just sounds ridiculous, but, the truth is, is I got to mile 26 in that 50 mile race and actually didn't feel anything like the same as I did during any of the marathons that I previously ran. Um, so I kind of had a taste for it, but kind of knew nothing about it, but <laughs> giving it a go um, and then did Ironman, obviously. And then from there, just go back to that point that I made earlier where I said that idea that if you're focusing on this, you're not focusing on other stuff or it's your release or it's your time to put the world to rights, whatever it is. And what I realized was, is that it started to have this, it started to give me this appetite for something that was hard and long. And I kind of fell in love with the endurance thing, but the Iron Man gave that because you, in Ironman, you do something called brick sessions where you go for a long bike ride and then you go for a run. So it's kind of used to doing stuff for a while, like doing long training sessions. And I really thrived off it. And the truth is, as a secret foodie, as an eater, yeah. you know, and I am, even though I work in, in, the, in the fitness world and, and very much coach running, 
I love my food. The truth is, endurance sport, you cannot out-train a bad diet. But I'll tell you what, when you're on it as an ultra runner and an Ironman, you can pretty much eat what the hell you like and you get away with it. Yeah, because you're but, doing it. Because Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, your calorie burn is phenomenal. So, you know, when you look at the basic principles of calories in versus calories out, when, you, when you're doing Ironman training and you're doing ultra training, you are burning a huge amount of calories. So not only did it kind of combat my weight um, and co- and I knew that, um, it also then creates this environment where you have to eat healthier because you need the right type of fuel for that kind of thing as well. So you kind of deal with like um, sort of emotional eating that way. And then there was that love of that, like I said, that endurance going along, going long and hard and painful and, and that that came from Iron Man, and it came from the process of building up to Iron Man, which then led to the ultra running, and it just seemed like cliche the natural next step on that ladder, but perhaps something that was more sustainable, because Iron Man training is a lot of hours, a lot of different disciplines. You can't really cheat and leave anything out, whereas ultra running, you kind of as much as you need to do recreations, you know, recce's of, of courses and go running in hills, which around Cambridgeshire is hard. You can still do the training and time on feet from your front door to your front door. So it's perhaps easier to fit it in. So So how do you start to train then? So that's quite interesting. So like that transition, but how do you, how do you begin training for an ultra runner? Like if not as a, as a, um, as like a, Iron Man, about how do you how would how did you approach training? Because if it's different types of training, how do you approach it as a complete beginner? Technically, I know you've done one before, but you're approaching a new sport in a new way. How do you actually approach training for ultra running? So I think you have to kind of look at the basics around it and and the logic as well. So sports science is a wonderful thing, but there's also a lot of logic that comes before that. And anything that with the word ultra in it suggests that it's going to be pretty big. So an ultra ultra marathon is going to require a long time on feet process. Now, no one can go out unless you're, well, yeah, unless you're Dean Carnese, who's like almost one of the founders of our sport. You know, he's one of the original guys or, or done it for a long time. You're not going to go out and run 30 miles. He did on his 30th birthday at the end of a night out, decided just to run 30 miles which was ridiculous. It's all in his book. But I think like for for me and for anyone who's getting into ultra running at that point, I was never going to go out and do anything more than what you'd normally do for a, a marathon training, which just for argument's sakes, let's say that's 20 miles that you, that you train up to. And you certainly aren't going to go out and smash it either. You're not going to run it like as fast as you can. You're going to take your time and slow it down. But your logic tells you that somehow you need to get some time on feet. So what you do is you kind of break it up into weekly segments and go, right, what is my weekly total? And then how can I increase that? But then to allow for recovery and not to overtrain, you perhaps say you're on a three-week cycle or a four-week cycle where you have like a lower mileage week every third week. So you kind of take the logic first and realize that you've got to do a lot of time on feet. You then kind of, what I did is break it down into how that is manageable around life. Now, if you want to run good half marathons and good marathons, you're probably quite used to the idea of a longer run. And let's just argue 
that that's on a weekend because that's kind of when anyone who works conventional hours would probably have the time to do that. And I'd say even in the, the gym industry, working unsociable hours, the weekends were still when those runs took place. But then you got to realize what is different to ultra running and compared to say marathon running. Now, in terms of your energy systems, we could bore you with that all day, but in a real basic kind of terms, your energy system will, you will probably manage 50K, call it 35 miles. You could probably run that ultra similarly to a marathon and do the training in that way. But when it comes to going beyond that, you're going to be on what everyone would say is fatigued legs, tired legs. Um, so there's this concept that you don't really have to Google to find out about it in the ultra world, which is back-to-back long runs. And you'll see ultra runners, they are very good at back-to-back long runs at weekends. And pros tend to do it in the week because they're obviously pro athletes. Yeah. So they've got the time to do it there. And that idea of back-to-back, so you might do a Saturday 20 miles and you might do a Sunday 25 miles. So effectively, you run 50 miles, but just over two days. Got you. So you're trying to replicate that that process. But right at the beginning of that, realistically, you have to come up with a process that's going to work around your lifestyle and around your commitments, whether that be family commitments. Now, the thing to note at the time of all of this, I didn't have a family. I didn't have a child, so I didn't have that commitment. Um, I had a job that w- which was shifts, which in this case I would say is an advantage because you can train at times when other people can't. Um, you know, finishing at two in the afternoon was always helpful because you could get three hours training in before anyone else finished work. And then you could still go do your social life or whatever else you wanted to at the time. So doing it young and early was was good. I would say that not many people do participate in this sport at this stage. You know, it tends to be a bit of an older person's sport at times you know, sort of, it's not a, a, a young professional sport. It's a 40 plus year olds. Um, so although that is changing now and the industry has changed massively since I sort of got into it, but that first initial step is you need to work out how you're going to get time on feet. That's like a moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes sense to me. I like that. Um, that's really cool. I think it's, it's interesting. The back to backs and the like, like it's all really complex i mean i don't know how people could do that it's insane you're all nutters every one of you who are listening to this i don't understand how you do it um it's mad it's making me tired just thinking about it so what has been you know you're training you've done ultras now you know you coach people to do ultras the hence coach marshy you know that's and obviously you have the ultra running podcast what have been some of the worst experiences that you've had during ultra runs some of those things that you think gosh this is, this is hard because <laughs> it can't yeah, all be so, sunshines and rainbows. No, and it's not. And, it you know, it's not. To quote the Rocky quote, it is not all sunshines and rainbows on this. It is. I think part of the part of it, and like, you know, you apologize to my past guests to say this, but I think I'll, I'll take what they say. You kind of start not knowing you're going to finish. There is an element of doubt. And maybe that's what draws us to it is that there's always, it doesn't matter who you are in what race at what level you're running it at. There is a chance that you will not finish this race. It's a bit like F1, isn't it? 
yeah, I'm not more an F1 than fan, usual. but you know when you watch F1, it's like one thing could smash it really out of the way, and it's like there's something game. about that that completely changes the whole dynamic of why you watch it. Yeah, and game over. It's game yeah. over. You know, if someone goes into the back of another car in F1, they take three or four cars out, and some nobody at the back of the grid wins the Grand Prix or whatever. And I can it imagine is. it's very similar for this when you're putting so many things, so many, um, so many different variables. And over yeah. a long period of time where you've yeah. got mental and physical issues, not just physical, but mental as well. And it is. And, and inevitably it's going to happen to you. And you always think it's never going to happen to you. People talk about it, but I was relatively inexperienced for my worst. My worst one came on my second ultra. And because I'd done the 50, I thought, yeah, come on. You can go to 70. You can reach past that 100K mark and you can go 70 mile ultra. And this was a lapped event as well. So it was 10 mile loops. So it was seven laps. It was a, 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 an event called the Grim Reaper um, Ultramarathon, which um, I'm pleased to see is returning as well. So I, there I was going to do 70 miles and turn up to this race. Thought, yeah, I've done a 50 before. It's only 20 miles more, which I appreciate to you, Ash, is a oh, long run. 20 but... miles you know, 20 miles more. And, and there we are. And we're sort of in camp and the race starts a little bit overcast, a little bit of rain and then a bit of forecast for sun. And it was all great. So off you go. First lap, no problem. Didn't really eat much. Wasn't feeling hungry. Second lap, I had a packet of mini cheddars, you know, for, yeah, I have a protein shot here. That will be all right. Um, so then next lap, cause you're only running 10 miles until you get back to where you were. You can, change your change your clothes and whatever well of course um as an unexperienced inexperienced ultra runner i turn up with one pair of trainers for a lapped race now since then i've learned a lot um you don't turn up to an a to b race without having a support crew with another pair of trainers or at the drop bag where you're allowed a drop bag you put a spare pair of trainers in there so that you can change them if something's gone wrong or whatever. And there was this one bit which was on an old railway valley, old steam railway valley part of this route. And it was just complete, like no rails were in there. It was just a valley where the line obviously used to go. And it was soaked. It was soaked through on lap one and lap two and lap three and lap four. <laughs> and my feet were soaked and I hadn't changed my socks until lap five. You know, one of my one of my runners sort of sat there and goes, Neil, you changed your you changed yet. You changed it, you changed your socks. And then another one comes over Smith and he, Marshy, Marshy, you changed your socks yet? We ain't seen you change your socks yet. In his in his Somerset accent, and it was real animated. And I was like, All right, Smithy, I'll do it. So I changed my socks, and that was correct. Anyway, we're out there on the fifth lap, and the dark had come in, and I've just been having a break. <laughs> And stood in like the start finish area tent where the chip timing was and spoke to the owner of the event and the organizer and said, Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, just give myself or just have a cup of tea. I'll have a I'll have a hot cup of tea with sugar. And he goes, You watch this now, it's quit as road. That road there, and he pointed to to the, the way out of the lap. So not even the way in, the way mm -hmm. out. And he goes, That's quit as road over there. You watch now, now it's got really dark, you know, sort of ten o'clock at night whatever he goes you watch quitters road they're going to start coming in now they're going to walk back they're going to give up you know because it's quitters road and i thought yeah yeah all right i'm going to go get myself ready wet trainers new socks on again so 
I didn't change my trainers in four laps and then two laps and I'm changing them twice. Right? So out I go and I'm, I've done my fifth and I'm, I'm like sort of running away. Like, yeah, yeah, got this marsh, you're all right. And then sort of went down that valley bit again and it was dark, head torch, couldn't see much, poor visibility. And you're just kind of trudging through this wet, soaking wet feet. And then you come up this little valley underneath the, the road bridge you come around and then come up to the road and it's just this long two and a half mile road of nowhere. Um, anyone who's done the Grim Reaper or does it, trust us, you know, or you will find out it is tough. And you're just going down this road and there's this little light on the top of the castle. <laughs> and it's like you're running, running to the light. I'm running <laughs> to the light. You can just see it because it's literally straight with a few dips and up and down, but the castle light is there. Anyway, I'm going down there and all of a sudden I'm like, something feels off here. And I was grabbing as if, because I wear glasses, but not when I run. I was grabbing my glasses to take them off. Yeah. But I didn't even have, I didn't, I didn't have my glasses on. And my light was obviously creating circles. And I was seeing circles. So I was grabbing them off, grabbing them off. Then all of a sudden, I looked up at the tree and I went, "What do you want?" Oh my gosh! <laughs> what, what, what? What is it? What, what do you want? And then carried on running. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, "Who, who was that?" And I started chatting to the owls and the birds. And I remember chatting to this bird that I felt like was following me along. But the truth was, is I must have been hallucinating. Yeah. And then I kind of carried on, and this bloke was on the side, just sitting there. Go on, mate. You all right, mate? You all right? And I thought, oh, it's not real. It's not a real person. And it was. It was a runner sitting there, and he'd phoned the race organiser to say that he need, he was dropping out, but he needed medical assistance. Yeah. And basically, I was like, oh, you all right, mate? Managed to switch on for a minute. Stood and had some, some sweets. I remember that. And then just, he goes, go on, mate. Carry on, carry on. So I carried on. <laughs> and I'm pulling my glasses off again. And I'm like talking. I'm like, oh no, there's nothing there. Don't talk to the trees. It's all right. No, nothing's <laughs> going on. And then all of a sudden, the van pulls up behind me, having picked this guy up, because I was on the straight on the way back to where the van would go. And the the one of the race directors goes, "You all right, mate?" I was like, "Yeah, why?" He goes, "You don't look all right from behind here." You're all over the place. You're from one side of the road to the other. You seem to be looking at things that I don't know what you're looking at, but there ain't anything there. I go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. He took my temperature and my body temperature, core temperature was 33.8. So I had hyperthermia. Yeah, Jesus. And I'd obviously been hallucinating. Yeah. And the thing, the thing was of this 10 mile lap, I was at fifth, I was at six miles of the lap. So, there I was, I got in the van and I was out the race. I was out and I had hyperthermia, but I didn't really know that till we got back to the tent properly that I had proper hyperthermia. And the joke is, is in four miles time, I'd have got back, got warm and I had more than enough time on the cutoff to get another lap in. Yeah. Um, and I'd have refueled and got new clothes on and it would have all been fine. But I had to get in there, went in the medical tent and literally the medic, her name was Anne-Marie and Cam, they were husband and wife. They 
had their own sort of ultra medics, they were called. They were the, the race medics. And they literally, like, I remember my mate Neil had to, another Neil had to pull off my clothes and undress me and redress me in warm clothing because I couldn't physically do it. Um, I was shivering to the point where I spilt my cup of tea on me because yeah. I was shivering so much. And they managed after two and a half hours to get my core temperature back up. But as they took my socks off, Anne-Marie goes, I'll tell you what, Neil, I've never seen anything like this. This looks like it's from the World Wars. You've got trench foot. And it was the most disgusting foot that you've ever seen. I've got a photo of it. And it's horrendous. And it was all shriveled and everything. And it was just horrendous. So for me, that was the worst <laughs> moment. And she let me go to the toilet once my temperature got back up and literally walking to the toilet 100 metres and back. I'd fallen back down to 35.1. So wow. they actually had to keep me in a medical tent all night and let me sleep and kept me warm until the morning when I could stabilize my temperature. Um, and for me, that was the worst experience. But as you I probably told it quite animated there and it's quite, it is quite funny now, but actually the time, really wow. the timing of that bloke sitting on the side, having rung to get picked up was crucial. Because if you veer off into somewhere out of sight and fell over, that could have been that could have been that that could have been a problem. Yeah. Um, so you know, but the trench foot, as she calls it, and the hyperthermia. I mean, it went down in our club at the time as like, you know, monumental that Marshy kind of DNF'd, did not finish, and it was like, it was quite good. But the best thing about that, the thing that came out of it is that Neil, other Neil and myself, we learned so much in that moment that we just, we the next year we went back to the event and I finished the 70 miler, um, unfinished business and all that. But we went back and we taught all of our new runners from the club what they needed to do to avoid that, yeah. um, including not using a foam roller as a pillow the night before in the tent because I didn't take a pillow. So you could argue I was underprepared, but that was my worst experience. <laughs> I love that. That's mad though, like scary as well. Like I yeah. find that terrifying. It oh. was weird. So want to end up a little bit left on the right on the on the, the interview. Just want to ask you one more thing. Um, which is you know, you've done a lot of right running, you've been running, you know, like you told me some of the highs, the lows. What would be your bucket list in regards to like races that you would like to race now in the ultra space? You know, what is your ultra running bucket list? So I think for me, I'm a little bit cliche and I'm cliche because it is the, the well-known races. Um, I wouldn't say I got into this world because of YouTube and the commercialization of, of ultra running, but there are some that are well-known. So the, the um, ultra trail Mont Blanc UTMB, you know, to run a hundred plus miles around Mont Blanc in France. I mean, what a, what a, an experience. So I would like to qualify for that one time and I wouldn't mind qualifying for Western States as well, which is a, originally it was a foot race for um, horse, horse riders, a um, hundred mile race from A to B across this, you know, Western States. And the, the funny thing is, is the road race, the running race, became a thing because a guy's horse got injured and the horse couldn't keep him on. So he decided that he would run and walk the remainder of the race to finish it. 
And I think that's kind of its origins. So really interesting. Or, um, you know, there are there are things, stories about how that race originated. And, you know, that really interests me. So Western States is definitely one one called Leadville in Leadville in America. Um, it's, it's an epic out and back, basically, 50 miles out and back. Um, so, you know, just for casual 50 miles out and back. And, you know, the one the one that has become probably within reach quickest in terms of qualification levels is probably Leadville, but actually also the Marathon de Saabs, which is the five-day stage race in the desert. Um, but then, you know, I'm not a big spider person and I've heard about camel spiders and stuff like that. So mm, not too sure. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's kind of my basic bucket list, really. And actually just to do a hundred miler, to do any 100 mile race. All of them seem way too difficult for me to even <laughs> contemplate. <laughs> Mate, I've loved talking to you. Like this is like the, probably to wrap it up, but I've loved it. Whenever we've got some more planned in the future, but I, like, I've learned so much myself, but I'm sure there's your listeners have as well. Like there's a real interesting con transfer one about who you are and what you've done and two how, how you do go from that, fat man to iron man to ultra runner to then now podcaster in the ultra running space that's the bit i want to talk about next when we get a chance we should do another one um but no man i love it it's insane yeah. no cheers ash thanks for coming on the show so um obviously we will the guys might want to look at you and what you do but um you know i think guys ash has definitely been someone that's helped on this journey and and helped to to create this podcast and we've got some awesome guests line up as well um coming in the future and I'm, I'm excited to see how the podcast continues to grow um and has got us you know you guys have all got us in the chart so on that note if you enjoyed the episode if you could just give us a review and share it with anyone who you think might find it interesting that would be a real help and also feel free on whatever platform you're on if there's a, a comment section to kind of comment on anything that you've heard in the episode as well and It'd be nice to see what you think as well. So I hope you all enjoyed the show. Ash, I hope you enjoyed the show. Loved it. And um, hopefully we can all meet here again to discuss more on the Ultra Running Podcast with me, Coach Marshy. <laughs>